welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast. It's almost impossible to avoid a discussion about cryptocurrency today. Just once a Bitcoin story, crypto's continued growth means it's creeping into other areas of our lives and is now much more than just a currency. In this episode, Sam Slater, Communications Director for Fund Caliber, discusses why this very topical area with Managing Director Darius McDermott and Senior Research Analyst James Yardley to find out more about cryptocurrencies and whether they can truly be viewed as an investment. So let's start with what are cryptocurrencies? So cryptocurrencies started with Bitcoin, which was basically a project to create digital uh, cash whereby anybody could send money to anybody else in the world. And the key part of Bitcoin is that it's decentralized. There's no single point of failure. So you can't shut it down. Even a government is not supposed to be able to shut it down. Uh, And as a reward for securing this network, um, you receive more Bitcoin in the form of the Bitcoin token called BTC. Uh, And there's a capped supply of Bitcoin, um, meaning that you know, it doesn't have the same inflation as you can get with some fiat currencies, um, which some people believe means it can be a better store of value. Now, cryptocurrencies actually evolved a lot more since Bitcoin. And I think one of the mistakes people make is to just assume that crypto is Bitcoin. And actually, uh, it's changed a lot now. Um, most of the innovation in the space is happening away from Bitcoin. So, so after Bitcoin, we got this thing called Ethereum, And Ethereum is very interesting because it had the idea of uh, decentralizing not just money, but decentralizing anything, essentially. Uh, And you can build decentralized applications on top of Ethereum. Uh, And this, in turn, um, also has sprouted a whole load of other tokens because one of the other features of Ethereum is you can create tokens on top of it. Uh, So now we have this huge, broad base of lots of different types of cryptocurrencies, and what that really means is that we can, you can have applications where you, you can do things between individuals, trade things where you don't need a centralized third party as you do, as, as you do at the moment. That's one of the key things, isn't it, James? Each crypto has a slightly different use. As you say, Bitcoin was set up for sort of payments. Um, and you've just touched on your ether. And you know, all, the, all the different coins and tokens have slightly different uses. And I think before one ever bought any of them, one should at least try and get their heads around what each of them are trying to achieve and whether you can make a judgment on whether that is achievable. I was going to say, why do we need things to be decentralised? What's, what's the benefit of that? Well, the benefit of it is, of course, it's a lot more efficient, potentially. I mean... And cheaper. I think trading costs are deemed to be lower of moving something in a decentralised way. It's when... In a regulated way, there's always associated costs, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I go back to the um, the Michael Gambon quote in the film Layer Cake, um, when his character Eddie Temple says, "The art of good business is being a good middleman," and the point of the idea of decentralization is to to destroy the middleman, and that has potentially huge implications for our society and for economics and for finance if this vision actually comes true. Because if you think at the moment, what if you could build an eBay or an Uber or all of these, where where at the moment you have these centralized platforms, what if we could build a decentralized alternative where I don't need to go through an Uber to order a taxi, I just go straight to the driver? 
Uh, and then you can you can even go even further than that and say, well, what actually if rather than Uber owning the platform, what if the users own the platform? And what if the driver owned the platform? And what if we all then got a reward for owning the platform? Yeah. Um, so this is a potentially a lot bigger than tulip bubbles and JPEGs, as, as people sometimes tend to dismiss it as, in my, in my view at least. Um, whether this is actually possible, whether that ultimate vision is actually possible, you know, is very much up for debate. And whether you can actually have these decentralized applications, I don't know. But just coming back to the original thing of, of what are cryptocurrencies, it's actually become a very broad spectrum now because so after Ethereum, what Ethereum also allowed was for these own your own tokens basically to be created on top of Ethereum. Uh, and so this allowed for everyone to lots to create their own projects. And, and this led to the first sort of huge speculative run-up we had in 2017 and the ultimate crash because you know, a lot of these things were, had a lot of promises, but nothing had been built yet. And some of these tokens which are being built are a bit more like traditional shares and things uh, that we have at the moment compared to something like Bitcoin, which is really quite removed. So it's, that's why it's quite, it's quite tricky because there is, there is actually quite a broad, broad spectrum now. We also have things like stable coins and things, which are designed to, say, track the US dollar, um, which is another example of a token you can have. Do you think of them as investments? Because I don't. I mean, I'm I'm a, a bit older than than James and a bit more of a traditionalist, maybe. But you know, when I think about investments, we look at trying to find either an intrinsic value or discounted cash flow. There appears to be no traditional way of valuing them, and certainly the original coins didn't have any dividends. Now I think that has matured with some of these token type investments or token type purchases, but they, they, they appear super complex and super volatile. And you know, I know investors have, some people have made a lot of money, which is why they've become popular. You know, some, it, the, the, there was that run up in 2017, to sort of $20,000 per Bitcoin. But, you know, then between sort of 2020 and sort of, you know, April 21, and then again in November 22, were massive price rises. So, but it also comes with volatility. And, you know, you, as we know, anything that you can make money in a short period of time, the opposite is that you can lose a lot of money in a short period of time. So, yeah, I, think what, I still categorize them as an investment per se. Yeah, I think it, it very much depends on on the, the the individual project or token or, or coin um, I mean you, you have to remember this, the space is really the wild west at the moment right there's no there's no regulation or anything really so there are scams out there there are sort of semi scams sort of lots of pyramid schemes sort of tokens and things and then there are actually the really genuine projects with you know real proper VC funding behind them. Um, which are actually building serious projects. Uh, so it's all kind of in a mix together, and it's you know it's very much the responsibility of the the individual to kind of work out what is actually a real investment, and then what is maybe uh, a scam or not even a scam necessarily. I mean, sometimes just you know something which just becomes popular for the sake of it. Uh, and you know you really have to do your own research on a lot of these things, and it's not easy. Definitely has been potential for fraud, and I like your description of the Wild West. 
I had in my head, I was going to say a lawless environment. Um, and, you know, there has been fraud and theft, um, numerous documented occasions since since launch. So, you know, I think potential buyers of these things do need to bear those added risks in mind. Uh, absolutely. Um, this is not sort of a space for the faint-hearted. And I think before anybody really invests in anything, I mean, what I always encourage people to do is to just actually go and use the networks a bit or experience it a bit with a very small um, bit of money um, and, and actually do a lot of research before you start getting involved with it because there are, yeah, there are lots of scams and things out there. I mean, the, Ethereum and Bitcoin though, have been very successful in um, that they haven't gone down at all and they've never actually been hacked, although there are lots of sort of hacks around the side into various other protocols. They themselves have never been hacked. Uh, and that is one of the reasons why they've continued to gain adoption and, and gain in price is that as the longer they've gone on, the more confidence people have had in them. It sounds to me as though the word cryptocurrency is a bit of a misnomer then, because you're kind of saying that on the one hand, there are some that are like a currency like Bitcoin, but then these, these other projects going on with platforms in the background. So can you kind of almost spit it into buckets now and separate it out? Yeah, exactly. That's the way you should really think about it. So really, you should think about it in terms of what, what I would say are coins and tokens. Um, so really. There you get those coins, which we call basically a layer ones. Uh, so those are actually the blockchain, which secures the network. So that is things like Bitcoin, Ethereum, or there are also now lots of competitors to Ethereum, like you know Solana or Avalanche or Phantom. Uh, and then below that, you get the tokens, which are being, um, I guess, for some of the things which are on top of these networks. You also have other things as well, like layer twos, which are sort of, side chains attached to the networks, but you know, I wouldn't worry about that for the moment. So when you're talking about side chains and platforms, can you kind of dumb it down for this old brain here? Because I still struggle to get my head around all of this, I have to say. It's, you know, we're talking about, so... How That's the point, Sam, though. It, it isn't straightforward. And I suppose one could argue that any type of investment, understanding what makes a share go up and down, isn't straightforward. But... To my mind, this does add an additional layer of complication for your standard retail investor, stroke punter. You know, we it's have not discussed this as we have with many of our industry friends. And, you know, because James has a good understanding, he tends to be a, a fountain of how do I make money out of this Bitcoin stuff that everybody's getting involved in. And I also think there is a huge amount of FOMO, fear of missing out. People say, well, you know, you've done really well with this or that one. My neighbor's done really well with that. And this is why they are, this is why we're even having this conversation because there are a decent population that have made an awful lot of money out of crypto, Bitcoin or whatever. But you, you tend to hear less of the stories where people have lost a lot of money. And just to put it into context, you know, on the, Middle part of November, Bitcoin was at 64,000. And on the 21st of January, it was 34,000. So it almost halved. So you know, by all means play, but do, do we be prepared to either A, ride that volatility out in the belief that long-term these things are winners. So I can understand that type of investment in thought, you know, 
the demand for these things are going to push it up. But then the likes of the Chinese government ban them. That causes massive volatility in the price. You've seen Elon Musk at Tesla. He talked about allowing Bitcoins um, to be able to use Bitcoin to pay for the cars and invested in them at the same time. Then when it was pointed out to him that the cost from a green perspective of the electricity to mine these coins, he had to change his mind. And of course, that led to a massive leap down in the price. So it's, I think James said, it's not for the faint-hearted, these, these, these types of, whether you want to call them investment or not, or, or, or punt. Um, but I think there are characteristics around long-termism that, that, that hold true. You know, you wouldn't buy... Well, I don't think you should. You wouldn't buy the US index for six weeks. You know, if you're making an investment in US shares, you're probably thinking five, 10, 15, 20 years. And I think that type of behavior probably is a good idea. Um, maybe not trying to put all your investments and let's just pick pick on Bitcoin because it is the most prominent of these. You know, if you wanted to make an investment of 10,000, maybe not doing as James said, all 10,000 in one go, you know, Buy two thousand pounds, see what you think about it. Maybe add in, but you know that sort of that sounds a bit like pound cost averaging, um, which we talk about in investing a lot. So I think there are characteristics that could be followed through from investments. But yeah, I think you made a very good point about not wanting to FOMO in. You know, I mean, I think I think before people even think about investing, as I say, I think they should do research and actually. Try and use some of these networks because I mean you can you can actually use them now um, for various things. Well, what sort of things can you use them for today? Well, I think this is one of the things which is a bit different from in 2017 when uh, we just had hype, a lot of hype, and not very much you could do. Whereas what's happened now? I mean, we went through this huge bear market for crypto, uh, and everyone sort of forgot about it until the last year or so, and a lot of the projects which started building in 2017 are now starting to come to fruition. So you have, for example, things like decentralized exchanges. Um, Uniswap is the biggest one. So rather than using a centralized exchange like Coinbase, a lot of people choose to use something like Uniswap instead now, um, which uh, has, you know, it's decentralized. It, it's, it's supposed to have no central point of failure. Uh, you've also got things like lending platforms like um, Aave and Compound. So people sort of lend out their cryptocurrency. And this has been a big attraction for people because you can um, get a much higher interest rate on your, uh, on your US dollars potentially than you can in the bank. And that's what's driven a lot of the adoption recently. Uh, and then we've also, we've also got other things like NFTs, which have come along, which have proved very, very popular recently, um, which we can get into if you want. Uh, we've also got GameFi now, um, gaming and crypto merging together, and then other things like the metaverse. So everything is sort of starting to come together a bit now. Uh, and that's why it's starting to gain traction. So how's that working in gaming then? Because that's something that most people will be able to think about in sort of their everyday lives. How does crypto get into gaming then and the metaverse? Yeah, so one of the, the big problem with traditional games is as a gamer, you've never actually been able to own your in-game assets. It's all kind of sort of pretend, right? So things like FIFA or Fortnite, I mean, they, they make um, millions of pounds or, or millions of dollars selling uh, digital skins and digital cards. and assets. But as a gamer, you don't actually own them, really. 
you can't take them and sell them to somebody else. And, you know, eventually when the game shuts down, that all goes away and doesn't really mean anything. Now, there's no the, sort of reward or loyalty system, yeah. is there, which is where the, the tokens maybe come in. Is that about right? Well, so now we have non-fungible tokens. So basically you can take those things and, and, and verify the ownership of who actually owns them. And, that, and that's actually a game changer for these games um, because now I can actually, maybe I've got a really valuable, powerful item in a game and I can sell that to another player who wants it. Um, and furthermore, maybe I can even take that item out and go and use it in a different game. Or maybe somebody else develops a new game for that item. So it is potentially a game changer for games. I mean, quite a lot, a lot of controversy among gamers. A lot of gamers are worried about where it's going. I, th I think that's, that thing is not going away. We've also had this thing called play to earn in game, where you can sort of earn or mine cryptocurrencies by playing the game or winning the game in some way. Uh, and that's proven very popular, although that's, that's a bit more controversial. And, you know, there are question marks about that. It's sustainability. That's sort of an introduction to it. But yeah, the, the, the thing for this as well, which allows, it allows for proper in-game economies, which we've never really had before. So is that a threat to gaming companies or is that a good thing for them to embrace? Because if it was kind of me who owned, I don't know, FIFA 22 or Fortnite or something, I'd be like, OK, well, I can actually allow my players to do this if they want to. Would they start doing that themselves or is it something that's completely out of their control? Or does it actually matter to them? It's a very good question um, as to whether it's a threat or an opportunity. It's probably a bit of both. And they and the gaming companies also have a difficult path to navigate because they don't want to upset their existing audiences, many of whom are actually quite against crypto. Another reason why gamers generally dislike crypto is because a lot of the graphics cards and things um, which gamers like to buy, they've all been bought up by the cryptocurrency miners, which has caused a massive surge in prices. So there's kind of a natural dislike of crypto to start with from gamers. I mean, if they do, they can't just stand still in this space because this is, I think this is definitely a case where there was a real problem in gaming. I mean, one of the criticisms of crypto is it's just, it's just a solution looking for a problem. This is where crypto has really found a problem, which actually is a big deal. If you've got a card game or if you've got a collect collectible game, uh, it makes a lot of sense to actually have these where you know the player really owns them. They've got to, they've got to be able to adapt uh, and navigate that balance. I mean, the other thing we're also seeing is though is is with crypto, you're going the full way now that um, people are actually sort of you can almost creating their own uh, game studios and allowing them to be owned by the players. Uh, so that's another dynamic at play. So it sounds like to me that like a lot of investing that you do need to do your reading, your research, try and understand what it is that each of these things are trying to achieve. And to my mind, definitely be prepared for volatility in the prices of these assets. Absolutely. I think that you know there is evidence in their reasonably short life that they go up quite violently and can come back quite violently. So, um, yeah, coming back to, I don't know if I've said it before, but, well, to your discount cash flow point, I mean, the, the other point I would just make with some of these protocols, some of these platforms like Uniswap, for example, they are generating real amounts of revenue now. Um, so you can sort of start to think about putting a valuation on them in a traditional metric, in a, tradi a traditional way, rather, whereas you can't really do that for Bitcoin. So I think that's one of the things where me as sort of an analyst, I start to get more interested because um, I can start to see potentially 
what 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 some of these things might be worth. And why do some governments like them and some hate them? Is it just that some governments want more control and others themselves? The, 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 the large central banks, like the Fed and the BCB or uh, the Bank of England, one of their functions is to control the flow of money, and they do that on behalf of governments. I think this ability to make transfers between assets and coins or whatever it might be beyond their reach, I think is a threat to central banks. And maybe they, as James said about the gaming companies, need to adapt and find a way of, if not regulating it, controlling it. But we talked a lot about policy at the moment and the US rate rises that are coming. That is done to try and control economies, unemployment, inflation. And if there is this mechanism for money moving or money assets moving without them being able to control them, then I think that is a threat. That would be my, again, very basic way of looking at it. But you know, that's where I see that it could, could be a threat, is the central functions of these banks could be distorted. And again, maybe too early to say to what level or to what impact. Yeah, that's, that's what it appears to me. And I don't know what the central banks feel, but James, you got anything to add or, or, or is that? Yeah, I mean, generally, I mean, governments hate crypto because it's it's taking power and control away from them, right? I mean, particularly, a, a, a currency is one of the things which makes a state a state. So if you take that away, you remove a lot of government's power. I mean, this is particularly relevant in emerging markets, and the IMF is basically in a state of panic at the moment because it, it's easy for us, in, you know, living in a, in in the UK where. We don't have to worry too much about the currency collapsing every few minutes. But if you're living in Argentina or if you're in Venezuela or if you're in Turkey at the moment, um, you know, crypto offers you a way out to save your savings. And a lot of people are potentially taking that, even if you're just transferring it into a, um, a US stablecoin or something. So, the, yeah, I mean, the IMF is, as I say, almost in a state of panic at the moment because it, it doesn't quite know how to deal with this. I mean, this is potentially a game changer, right? I think ultimately it is actually a good thing that people can save their savings and that governments can't just you know, inflate their currencies away to nothing um, at the expense That's of another tool that central banks have, don't they, when they raise interest rates or lower interest rates or you know, is to partially sometimes manipulate their currency because, as we know, currencies can get overvalued and cheap as well. And you know, if you're wherever, but emerging or developed markets, if you want your I mean, like, currency to go up or down. Eventually, you could have like bonds issued in hard currency, local currency, and cryptocurrency. I think, well, I think we, already, we already have some bonds which have been issued on the Ethereum platform. I think the, I can't remember who did it exactly, but I'm sure that's already, that has already happened. Um, it's definitely a fast maturing environment. Um, the both of the two of us on this call, I know James has invested in cryptos. Um, I haven't primarily because I haven't fully understood them. And at least if I have a bet on the 330 at Kenton, I know there's a, an eight in nine chance I'm actually going to lose my money, but that's more of sport and, and fun. And But I'm interested in learning more about the subject, but it would never be more than a small percent of my portfolio, I think, but primarily because of the volatile nature of the, those assets. 
digital currencies are probably here to stay and could maybe even replace some form of payment. So if you're going to back crypto, it must be for the long term. However, before you jump on the bandwagon, make sure you know what you're getting into and don't invest any money you can't afford to lose. Diversification is key. Please remember this podcast is not intended as a substitute for investment advice and mention of specific assets or platforms should not be viewed as a recommendation to buy or sell. Please note that members of the Fun Caliber team own some of the cryptocurrencies and platforms mentioned in today's podcast in their personal portfolios. 